Good evening, motherfuckers, and welcome back to Tusk. Now, at first glance, if you're watching on YouTube, you might be like, holy shit, we got a webcam up. That's right. Tonight, of course, as usual, we have Cruz Marquis on here with me, and we decided to get his webcam up and running so y'all can see him, and hopefully we can have a bit of a better connection this episode. So, how you doing tonight, Marquis? I'm doing really good, Tusk. Thanks for having me. And uh, now I believe the discussion should be a little bit more animated with the viewing audience as opposed to the listening audience able to see some of what's going on at least. So I'm really looking forward to a good conversation this evening. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for being on here with me again. And I agree. It's great that we can finally do this. I know everyone enjoys seeing that sexy stickman figure on a <laughs> next to the truck in my usual YouTube thumbnail, but it is nice to have a bit more of a connection, get more animated. Of course, if y'all are listening on the other platforms, you can't see it, but I recommend checking out the YouTube channel anyway. Anyways, today we have a bit of an interesting topic to discuss. As you all know, the American political climate has shifted a lot over the past six, seven, eight or so years. Obviously, it was mainly sparked with Trump running for president and then winning the nomination. He became the first president in American history to not have any sort of political or military experience. This rubbed some people the wrong way, other people preferred it, but it did spark a huge discussion in the political climate about what we call career politicians. Career politicians, as most of you know, is somebody who either for most of their adult life or their entire adult life only served in politics, whether it be a congressman, senator, governor, any sort of political job. A lot of people really, really, really don't like those people. Uh, Obama was an example of a career politician. A lot of people loved Obama, but he was a career politician and many people hated him for it. Joe Biden is a career politician. He was a senator for, what was it, almost 50 years, and then he was vice president, and now he's president, and he's never really done anything outside of it. But some people have conflicting ideas about it. Some people prefer career politicians. Marquis, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Right. In uh, the American system, and we can sure start off with that, and I'm sure as we go on we can build off into the normative field and talk about other systems and what we would rather be going on, but just to confirm, I mean, confine my opening remarks to the American system, our, what we've got right now is attracting some uh, very unfortunate people. It's like what Hayek said in The Road to Serfdom back in '44 that the worst rise to the top. Whenever there's power, Hayek was talking specifically about totalitarian power, but as usual, Hayek didn't go far enough. It's not totalitarian power that attracts bad people to office. It's power. And what do we mean by power? We mean political power as Franz Oppenheimer defined it in his 1908 treatise of state, which is the ability to force people, usually through a state, to do something they don't want to do or prevent them from doing something they will do. This attracts some very brutal people. 
because it is the profession of force to stop people from doing things or to force people to do things. Who likes doing that? People who are already brutal and do it in their own private capacity, usually as uh, some sort of thugs, whether it's some sort of a street thug that becomes a Hitler or some sort of a lawyer, a courtroom thug, who becomes an American politician. And uh, these people are very enraging. Uh, thankfully, we don't have too many uh, would-be Hitlers in this country, but we do have a lot of these courtroom thugs who are running the country and are doing it for decades on end. In fact, the most common occupation of Congress before being a politician was lawyer. And uh, I think we can say that the lawyers are essentially as close to being a subhuman species as you can get. So, in our context of the American system, I have a very dismal view of what the system of career politicians has attracted. Right. I totally agree with you on that. At first glance, whenever people get that sort of gut reaction to a career politician, before you actually get into the finer details of why it would be a good or bad thing to be a career politician, is you think, wow, this is somebody who has been in a position of power for a long time and is just climbing up the ranks. So our sort of reflexive uh, perception of them is this is somebody who just wants to get more and more power. And obviously that's not a good thing. Obviously not all of them are really trying to do that, at least not for malignant purposes, but that's sort of our gut reaction to them. Now, again, Trump was our first non-politician or military president. So that means that all other presidents, all other 44, however, Grover Cleveland fucks that up a lot, but 44 or so presidents have been involved in politics or the military in some way. Now, I don't know off the top of my head which president was in the military but not in politics. I would imagine Ulysses S. Grant, I believe he would be one if he wasn't ever a politician before then. But either way, let's take a look at some of the other presidents and how much time they actually spent in politics. The first one that comes to my mind is James Buchanan. Yeah, uh, he was, at least at the time, if not still, the most qualified on paper to be president. Uh, he was a minister to Russia, the United Kingdom, Secretary of State. He was offered a seat on the Supreme Court. I mean, the dude had a resume about the fucking size of an encyclopedia, and he's considered by the majority of historians to be one of the worst, if not the worst, president ever. Now, is that necessarily because he was a politician? Perhaps not. But if you really look into some of the things that made him a horrible president, many people consider him spineless. And why was this? Because early on in his career as Secretary of State, if it wasn't for James K. Polk saying, no, fuck off, we probably wouldn't have the West Coast territory or the Southwest, because he was completely detached from what the people needed and wanted. 
He simply wanted to look good, and he didn't want to make any risks. So that's one, for example. And obviously we have our current state of politics. Regardless of what you think of Trump, the United States is way, way worse off now than it was three, four years ago. So if you take the leap that we made from a man who was never in politics to a man who's been in politics for 50 plus years, why do you think that is? Well, Marquis, do you right. have any thoughts? Right. Just building on that, we can name off quite a long raft of uh, very odious career politicians. Hillary Clinton is my personal least favorite. Fuck Obama, her. you mentioned earlier. Like, just tack in the rest of the Clintons, the whole Clinton crime family. There's a couple in there. Uh, Nancy Pelosi. Oh, and, of course, Joe Biden, our current president. We could go on ad nauseum, but uh, it would benefit no one by gi giving in a, a gazetteer of everyone who is a career politician. So, one of the things that, that people usually propose on how to end the situation is to end their terms. And if you can't do that at the ballot box, which is very difficult usually because... The incumbency rate is so high, especially in the House of Representatives, because of name recognition and just the ability to continue voting for the same person over and over again because of the party structure and the election structure being the way it is. So, one way to stop this right now, and it can be stopped right now, is with term limits. Where a lot of social scientists like this, a lot more politicians and activists like it, where... Essentially, if you get elected once, you're not going to get reelected, or maybe one reelection, and and that's basically it. You can arrange the legislation any way you want, but the key is that at a little time can be spent on reelection and fundraising and all that other uh, good swampy stuff that uh, they like to do. So they have to spend and most of their time actually legislating or leading. But there's some difficulties with this. I want to get to that in a minute. But what do you think about term limits, Tusk? I 100% support them for all government positions, or at least almost all. I can't think of any off the top of my head that I wouldn't want term limits on, but I'm not going to go with too many absolutes here. I absolutely Understand. support them. Um, I, would, I would say maybe allow senators and congressmen to go with one or two re-elections because I do think that if you don't give somebody enough time then there's really no point in hiring them quote-unquote hiring them anyway so I do support giving them a bit time to uh, you know enact their will and see how they actually do but I I mean if you don't have term limits then you get people like Nancy Pelosi obviously who's been in for God knows how long. I, I have no idea. Uh, she's over 80 years old, and I... Probably longer than both of us have been alive. Probably. <laughs> Fucking think about that shit. Uh, oh, hell no. But yeah, I think even the best-hearted people, even people who really do have good intentions, the majority of them, and I don't have anything to back this up, but this is just something that I think is the case. You give them enough time 
in the government and they'll become just like the rest of them. And that's, I think that's because of something that I was actually wanting to get into. Um, so I, I heard this argument a while back and it makes sense at first glance, but once you think about it, it's uh, honestly, it's really stupid. So I've heard somebody say before, if you say you go to a mechanic, who would you want to fix your car? Obviously, you would want someone with more experience, right? So they say, shouldn't that apply to politics? Shouldn't you want a career politician who's had experience in the field? And I thought about it for a few seconds, and I thought, you know, that would be a good argument if politics were like every other area of expertise, a politician is not the same as a mechanic, and here's why. If you're running a business as a CEO and you make really shitty decisions, you're going to feel the blow from those shitty decisions you make, whether it's lack of profits, whether it's a bunch of your employees quitting, what have you. You're going to feel the consequences of those shitty decisions that you made. As a politician... Once you get elected, until it comes time for re-election, it doesn't matter what the fuck you do. Unless you really, really break the law, you're not a part of the establishment, and you get punished and impeached or whatever. You, you can do whatever the fuck you want. It doesn't matter what you do. You're in that position. You're getting your salary. You don't get a pay cut. If anything, you get a fucking raise because the government likes taking in more taxes to compensate for their fuck-ups. So that's why it's not the same at all. You still get, I'm sure they get most of their living expenses paid for. They still get their salary. Congressmen make, as well as senators, I believe it's around 180 grand a year, which is way too fucking much. But you're still getting that pay no matter how good or bad of a job you do. AOC, dumb as a bag of fucking rocks, does not do shit. And she still has all of her living expenses paid for. She's still getting that paycheck. No matter, even if they shut down their own states during a fucking uh, COVID outbreak, saying, no, you can't run your business. You have to stay home. Doesn't matter if you're broke. Doesn't matter if you're trying to feed your family. You stay home and we're going to punish you for opening your business but we're still going to sit here and we're still going to get our 180 grand a year. That is right. why a career politician is not the same as being a businessman or a blue collar worker. So no, I do not want a quote unquote more experienced politician. I want somebody who actually feels the consequences or has felt the consequences of legislation in their area. Right. I've got a good bit to unpack there. First, I agree that uh, most of the experience that they have in that in the paradigm that we're talking about right now is uh, experience in making the country a dystopian hell state and uh, experience in taking away freedom and empowering the central government, which is not the kind of experience that uh, you want. At least the newer politicians are going to be less efficient at... Uh, taking away freedom, which is definitely important in this rate. Hey, I wouldn't want someone who's efficient at destroying my liberty. I want someone who's terrible at it. But I digress. 
As uh, Lord Acton said that absolute that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, and that was uh, true in the 19th century, and it's uh, even more true today. But building off what I was saying earlier about term limits, the question isn't a trade-off between power to the people and power to Congress. It's a trade-off between power to Congress and the power to the bureaucracy at the end of the day. Because when you get right down to it, the congressman right now can be there forever. You know who else can be there forever? The congressional bureaucracy and the executive bureaucracy. No matter what, they will be there. These are the aides, these are the staffers, the people who are preparing white papers, the people who always have the ear of Congress and the heads of the executive departments. These people don't go away, and they're extremely powerful already. Congress has already delegated the vast majority of their lawmaking power by virtue of lack of time and, which produces lack of specificity, to the uh, department heads and the executive in the executive branch so because Congress, because of a lack of time, lack of money and a lack of specialty experience produces broad marching orders in their legislation. I talked about this on the state of dissidence podcast with Brandon Castleberry the other day. And as a result of these broad marching orders in legislation, the idea of a representative government was that no one would be building on this. And that spontaneous order would just pick up the slack and people would be able to just live their lives, innovate, create, build with the just broad guidelines that Congress passes. But instead of that, today it goes on to another level. The whole other level is the executive departments, which write federal regulations, which build off of and fill in the blank spots that Congress left assuming that people would be able to just fill them. No, now they're filled with lines that read something like, and uh, the department of such and such has the power to make all regulations pursuant to these objectives, or whatever, some shit like that. So this creates a system that wherever the legislature cedes power, it will be immediately picked up by staffers in Congress, and bureaucrats and apparatchiks in the executive branch, which will never go away, because they don't have elections. They're always there. They can be there for decades on end. There's no voting them out no matter what. So Congress, already being possibly the weakest branch of government now, having already ceded most of their lawmaking power to the executive branch and the judiciary, weakening it further with term limits, for me, it sounds like it's something that's very good in theory, but in practice, you're only going to make the bureaucracy all that much more powerful. And in my mind, the quality of the legislation that's going to come from the bureaucracy is significantly worse than that which comes from Congress, because, as I said, the bureaucracy has the money, they have the time, and the specialty experience to go through with a fine-tooth comb and uh, create much more specific, much more stringent, and much more tyrannical laws, laws than Congress ever could. And this, to me, is a bad trade-off. That's a very good point, and that's something that I hadn't thought about. I'll definitely have to look deeper into that. In fact, I mean, I'm not... 
I'm not really sure what to say. I mean, on paper, yeah, I still absolutely support term limits for every government official. But I think there are other policies that we can implement to compensate for anything that term limits, for whatever reason, if we couldn't impose term limits. Um, I think that government positions or at least legislative positions like congressmen because they go into the capitol sit on their fucking asses all day and then they go home to their fucking all expenses paid house and then go on their all expenses paid resort for their all expenses paid uh, vacation for two weeks in the fucking bahamas um i think at least they should be paid minimum wage they should be paid minimum wage should have to work a job, or at some point, they should have to feel the effects of their legislation. This is very based, and uh, I like it. Thomas Jefferson would have entirely agreed with this sentiment, and uh, I'm at least on board with it as much as it's practicable, because at the end of the day, uh, this was never supposed to be a career. There never was supposed to be such a thing as a career politician. We were supposed to have the Jefferson Jeffersonian politician. The they, they didn't even call them politicians back then. They were real statesmen. They were real men of government, men of learning, men of experiences and virtue. They were the yeoman farmer with the virtues of the land. They were the skilled merchant who knew about global commerce. They were the soldier or the marine or the airman who knew about the ways of war. Now we have lawyers. Lawyers and more lawyers. Cough, cough. Which is Kamala a, Harris. Cough, cough. Yes, yes, yes. And that she was cough a shitty is not lawyer sickness. at that. She's not coughing from sickness. No. No, she's not. Yeah. Uh, I just think... I don't get why it is the way it is. It only makes practical sense that if you're going to go into the legislative body and impose policies on your district, your state, your country, what have you, you should in some way feel the effects of that. Instead, they have their housing paid for, they have all their expenses, their food paid for, they get it too big a fucking check our tax dollars going to them doing fuck all and making 180,000 a year and then they get their retirement paid for they reap none of the fucking consequences of the policies that they impose and that needs to change maybe we'd stop having all these clowns in office then they push gun control and they're protected by secret service with that long too. guns Thank you. And New York State, by the way, just passed a pay increase. So now they're the highest paid state legislature in the country. They just gave themselves a $32,000 a year raise. And maybe go buy yourself another oh. sports car while you need it, while you drain New York State dry. But Fuck whatever. All that. one big club and you and I aren't invited. Holy shit. Yeah, you can't open up your business. But we're going to give ourselves a $30,000 fucking raise. You can't have guns, but we have armed fucking sentries around our gated homes. Fuck. 
And that is why I feel very strongly about career politicians. Also, I think Colorado just passed the strictest gun law in the state. Anything with a pistol grip is now banned, apparently. Yeah. First I've heard of it. That's yeah. insane. I, I just saw it today, earlier today. Uh, I'll have to fact check it, but I, I heard something about it. Pistol grip, um, and there are a few other restrictions, ridiculous restrictions. I don't think it said magazine-fed, but... Yeah, so you're basically stuck with the uh, flint strike. Sounds like it's secession time. Mm. This ain't working. Yeah, fuck that. It, um, yeah, this shit is not working. But uh, back on career politicians, I will hedge what I was saying earlier about the normative and stuff that's outside the American system with this. There are some in the radical libertarian sphere that I've been studying a lot more recently, who would say that uh, the career politician is actually something we should strive for, but not in the way that people think of it. Consider this. Government, when it intervenes in the economy, it's going to decrease people's trust in the rule of law. It's going to decrease people's incentive to keep investing, building, creating, hiring, etc., 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 because of regime instability. If people feel that all their gains from trade are subject to being wiped out at the stroke of a pen, then they're going to be less likely to make those gains from trade. And what happens when people are less likely to make these big financial investments that are going to make the big gains from trade and grow the economy and improve people's standard of living. Well, if people aren't doing that, they're essentially taking what Hans Hermann Hoppe called a high time preference, which means they value goods in the present more in the long than in the long term. So essentially, they're foreclosing tomorrow or today because they're not willing to make those long-term investments of time, energy, and money. And what starts in the investment field with, the, with decisions about hiring, investments, and building filters down to how people interact in their social life and how people live their lives. Because once people stop looking at the long-term in earnest, they start looking for momentary things. And this is where you're off to the races and society starts to going to hell in a handbasket. This was the pr central premise of Hans Hoppe's groundbreaking book, Democracy, the God that Failed, which indicted the whole scheme of popular sovereignty for this. So the question is, how do we get around high time preferences? How do we lower them and make people value who like a, the goods in the far future over the present. How do we make a climate that's amenable towards investment, creativity, job growth, and just being able to form long-lasting relationships, whether it's business or social, what have you? The idea is to reduce interventions in the economy, get rid of the regime instability, make people able to trust the government make people be able to trust that their gains from trade are protected, safe, and not subject to confiscation tomorrow. 
How do you do that in a republic where everyone sees fit to punish everyone, where everyone plunders everyone, as Frederick Bastier wrote in the 1840s? The difficulty is that you usually can't. If everyone's plundering everyone, no one is safe. So, what if the rulers had a personal stake in the country? What if, instead of politicians being able to loot the country for their few few hours, few years, few whatever in office, they had to think about the long term. Because think of this. When a Democratic politician comes into office, he figures he has a few years, at best, probably, in order to just do what he will. Maybe a little bit longer. Incumbency is high, maybe figures he has a few terms, but he can't do it forever, in theory. So, he's going to pass out as many goodies as possible. Bread and circuses, as the Roman poet Juvenal called it. He's going to try to buy as many votes, cut taxes, raise spending, and embark on every socialist project he can possibly imagine to buy more votes and personally enrich himself, plunder the land, and salt the earth, if that's what it means, just so he can get momentary gain. What if the incentives were flopped around and they could reap long-term stable gain? If they were able to reap long-term stable gain where they had a career secure or just inevitably, then there wouldn't be the incentive to reap, uh, reap the earth with salt and just completely plunder everything. If you can keep profiting over it for a long period of time, and can just have your little aristocracy, then why would you need to destroy the land all at once? This argument leads inevitably to non-Republican systems, which is why Hans Hoppe is uh, somewhat less popular than other more conventional thinkers, but it's a step in the right direction, because at this rate, the popular sovereignty that the West has embarked on over the past few hundred years, has led to total war. It's led to the welfare state. It's led to modern monetary theory and central banking. It's led to the prison industrial complex. It's led to global empires, the likes of which have never been imagined before. It's led to the surveillance state. It's led to a million dialogue only in the 21st century. Anything would be better than this, what we have today. Maybe even monarchy. Ooh. I was about to say, this is where the beauty of anarcho-capitalism comes in. Monarchy, though? I mean... Well, I'm looking back, and... I mean, On what even... occasion did, the, did these people start off a massive war of the sort that uh, is started off today? Even Herod was at least fucking coherent. Usually, yeah. either you're going to get a sane king, but in a democracy, you're always going to get an insane people. This being said, I'm not defending monarchy for all its woes. I'm not calling it a good system. I fucking hate I'm monarchy. saying that what we have right now is really terrible, and 
it might be time to think about things that are less terrible. Yeah, I fucking hate monarchies, but, I mean, we've seen what happens with a horrible monarch. It's not good. It's, I mean, at least right now, even with the fucking morons that we have in office right now, you and I can have this discussion and post it, and the viewers can be watching it and listening to it right now. But under That's some of the... we're still on FBI watch list. Oh, yeah, definitely. What's up, Agent Smith? Yep. Well, good thing I don't have a webcam. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And I mean, you've been on a watch list for years now, so. Well, probably. Because, again, the surveillance state was created by the Democrat regimes that are currently fucking everything up right now. Yeah. Plus, you live in Illinois. I'm sorry, man. Yes. I'm sorry. It's Pritzker. He's coming for your toilet. Indeed. But um, going back, and this is a random tangent, but I I, re I really want to go back to this. This interests me. So, yes, we said, really need to. You jokingly said earlier it's secession time when talking about Colorado, and that just that's kind of a trigger word for me. It just brings me back because I loved studying the Civil War. How exact do you think that? And this is hypothetical, of course. A, a civil war would be horrible, and I'm not actually advocating for it in, in any way. But how do you think a civil war, what do you think is the most likely scenario that a civil war could break out? Because it's not like we have a North versus South right now, although the North does tend to be Democrat and South tends to be Republican. It's not black and white like it was before. It's especially if we're talking about liberals versus quote-unquote conservatives. It's giant oceans of red with a few intense spots of blue. It would be an ideological civil war rather than a territorial. What do you think would be the most likely scenario where it would break out? What do you think the borders would be and the, the real conflicts? Too hard to say. The only prediction I'd be comfortable making is that uh, it would probably look more like Iraq than at the height of the insurgency than anything else. But I digress. William Tecumseh Sherman, war is hell. You don't need to go into a more war is terrible. Avoid it as much as possible. And uh, no, I was not joking about secession. And I uh, legitimately believe that that's the cure to a lot of our political problems. I'm trying, and that, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to keep us away from the deepest circle of the watch list, if you know what I'm saying. No, but I'm a secessionist. True. Yeah. And, uh, All right. Ours, when you get right down to it, states over the past few hundred years have gotten far too big. Montesquieu wrote 400 years ago that republics, if you're going to have one, very well, just granted that you're going to have one, then you need to keep it small. You can't extend this over a very large territory. He called this an extended republic, and this isn't going to work because you're going to get a lot of very different people together. And getting a lot of very different people together in one polity with very different cultures, maybe even different languages, different, ever, different religions even, you're going to get people 
with a lot you're going to get discord and policy no one's going to like each other and it's going to tend towards uh, devolving into a tyranny so that wisdom is still perfectly applicable today republics and just states of all sizes have been growing for the last few hundred years but after world war ii thankfully there was a turnaround and secession movements really flourished like i said the soviet union had uh almost two dozen secessions it completely fell apart secession is uh, active in spain with uh, catalonia and the basque republic trying to secede uh, france has Brittany trying to get out scotland is trying to get out from england and of course there's the uh, perennial northern ireland always trying to get out from the uk i'm definitely on the side of the irish on that but i digress secession is in so many places in Africa that we can't even enumerate them. we got Kurdistan in the Middle East. We've got even parts of Iran trying to get out. Out uh, parts of Russia, Dagestan, and we could go on. Secession is not an idea that's tainted by one thing that happened 150 years ago in this country. And one Supreme Court case, Texas v. White, certainly didn't decide that secession is always and just in no place a constitutional right or it's just something you can't do that's uh anton scalia argued that the civil war ended that question but uh of course beating someone over the head with a club isn't an argument <laughs> that just because the north won doesn't mean that secession isn't some isn't a right if that if secession isn't a right then you better be ready to condemn the american revolution because if you swap out the terminology a little bit, there is no tangible difference between calling it a revolution and calling it a secession event. You also should be ready to confirm confirm. You also should be ready to condemn the breakup of the Soviet Union and should have been willing to urge Gorbachev to send in the Red Army and start crushing demonstrators like they did in 1956 in Budapest. Well, if he adopted the Lincoln policy, that probably would have started a civil war on par with the absolute bloodbath that occurred in Yugoslavia when the Serbs tried to do the same thing. So, secession is the ability to let people go their own way. If people can't get along, why force them to be in one country with people who hate them and vice versa? Just let them have their own polities. Let them have their own states. Stop making people be together who don't want to be together and don't get along. This doesn't mean civil war. This doesn't mean violence. No one has to get hurt. I'd prefer it if absolutely no one got hurt. But sometimes, if it's done wrongly, by wrongly I mean as the central government sends in an army, like what happened in our civil war and what happened in Yugoslavia, what didn't happen but almost did in the Soviet Union, then it can go very wrong, in which case, uh, God help everyone. A pox on everyone's houses as a result. Right. Yeah, I absolutely 100% support the right to secede. The only reason that I'm iffy on it right now is because a civil war, another civil war, would be almost inevitable. Especially with a president like Sniffy the Clown right now. I find it hard to believe that uh, American troops would fire on each other like that. That 
Well, I just don't see it happening. Well, it's something that... It'd take a lot more. Well, yeah. I mean, it has happened before. Fort Sumter, 1861. It did. I like to think that uh, the tension isn't that high. Maybe it is. We don't have the tw hindsight of a historian. But again, I don't think secession has to be necessarily violent, even in this country. There are so many secession movements going on that it really just boggles the mind. Alaska's trying to get out. Hawaii's trying to get out. Uh, Puerto Rico. Te Texas. California. The whole Cascadia thing. Greater Idaho. The state of Jefferson. Some people are trying to divide Illinois into two states. I'm one of them. And uh, Florida, obviously. And there are other ideas about trying to split states up and making bigger states or just carving off other weird corners of the country and just making a smaller country. None of this has to go south. The Californians can stand on their own two feet if we let them. The Texans can do the same thing. If uh, the Pacific Northwest wants to go and join Canada, uh, they should be able to do that. And we should be able to just hold a plebiscite and just let people vote on it at this rate. Or if we have to do it through different channels... I don't think people should be shying away from secessionist bills because what we're doing right now isn't working at all. Well, economically, California could stand on its own. Socially, it would probably dissolve eventually. But, yeah. uh, Let them. Yeah, fuck them. San Andreas, just split at this point, please. Rip the Band-Aid off. Yes, I definitely think people should be allowed to fail. In economics and in politics. If uh, New York City wants to become some Stalinist shithole, well, uh, they can just do that. They'll make a lot more libertarians and right-wingers in the process. A lot of people would suffer if they it just turned into Stalinists, but they, they should be able to at this rate. Yeah. Hey, just ha keep your Stalinism over there. I don't want it over here. Yeah. If you want to be Stalin, if as I used to always say, if you want to be communist, then so be it. But if you're going to do that, let people leave, for fuck's sake. But that kind of contradicts communism. When you build a wall to keep people in. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Looking at you, Berlin. But anyway, that's our... Two cents on uh, career politicians and led into the concept of secession and civil war. Hopefully, we do not have another civil war ever. Um, if people decide to secede, hopefully we can just do that peacefully and they can just let people fucking go. If it doesn't, well, people will have to find a way. Hopefully it just doesn't end with hundreds of thousands of people dying. Hopefully nobody will die. But those are our thoughts. I um, think we covered a lot of good points today. What say you, Markway? I think it was a great discussion. Uh, we hit a lot of high notes. Well, what else can I say? Yeah, we definitely did. Um, career politicians, fuck them. We need people with life experience and who suffer the consequences of their policies and, well, fuck war. Fuck all war in general, but people should have the right to go their own way 
if they win, great. If they fail, that's on them. I think that I was agree. a great discussion. Well, any final thoughts, Marquis? No, I think we basically hit all of it. That was pretty good. I agree. Well, if that's it, thank you all for joining us tonight. God bless America. <laughs>